Our text for today comes from John chapter 20, verses 19 through 23. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Elementary kids, follow me. All right. Well, today is the first Sunday of Easter. Now, uh, that season of Easter is the 50 days, not 40 days, but the 50 days between the Easter Sunday and uh, the day of Pentecost. So, uh, that's uh, just a little bit of a, a, of a church calendar update for you if you're not familiar. Uh, the only hitch in that, in that whole setup is that the Orthodox celebrate Easter today. So if you say live in Greece, today is Easter day for you. We have, we have a calendar mistake. Somewhere along the line in the last 2,000 years, we uh, forgot when Jesus was resurrected. Some of us say it's one week, some of us say it's the other week, but guess what? He is risen nonetheless, right? Regardless of whether or not we get the regardless of whether or not we get the calendar straight, uh, which is a truth in my own home as well, because very often I don't know what's on the calendar for a given day. Anyways, uh, today we're beginning a new series we're calling Resurrection in Life, which is all about this very idea that, that the resurrection is this thing that happened 2,000 years ago, but it is not only a thing that happened 2,000 years ago. It is uh, also this event that revolutionized the world and has lasting and ongoing effects for us and for all of creation. It affects the way we live. It affects the way we interact. It affects the way uh, we move through this life. It's uh, my favorite. N.T. Wright says it this way. He says, Christians are called to leave behind in the tomb of Jesus Christ all that belongs to the brokenness and incompleteness of the present world. That, quite simply, is what it means to be a Christian, to follow Jesus into the new world, God's new world, which he has thrown open before us. And so the question in the light of Jesus' resurrection is, because Jesus is raised, how should we live? How does it affect the way we live? What are the implications for our lives, given the fact that Jesus is alive? This is a very important question that we need to have answered for ourselves. What does it mean to live the types of lives that Jesus envisioned that his followers would live? Because it's more than about, it's about more than simply believing some things, isn't it? it? Jesus paved the way, and he refers often to a kind of newness of life that he wants to spring up from the inside of us. And, and so there are implications to this resurrection that he had for us and for everyone we know. Now, this is tricky, right? Because the resurrection is not something that, we, we seem, that seems like it has happened around us all the time, right? Because though new life has come, right, new life is available, there are still signs of the old life all over the place, the old self, the old world are very much present in our existence, aren't they? And it's a little tricky when we look outside 
of, of our world and even into our own hearts sometimes. And we see the ways that all the, all, these old, all, the, all the ways that the old world is kind of clinging to us, is still holding on. You see, I think it's a little bit like what we see happening outside right now. It's like spring. There are hints of newness all around us. There are green shoots that are beginning to burst out of the ground. Maybe if you have a sunny side of your house, the, you can even see the flowers on that side beginning to bloom. But there are still signs of winter. There are still things that are dormant. And not everything is green and lush, but we know that that's coming. And in the same way, the Apostle Paul tells us that the resurrection of Jesus is like the first fruits, or a down payment is another analogy he uses, of the resurrection life that Jesus will one day bring into full bloom when he returns. So this is the picture we get in the scriptures. And God's people, the implications then for God's people, his church, are that those of us who follow Jesus are, are called to begin living these new lives, even though there are signs all around us of the old, broken ways of the world. Because Jesus has called his people to be restorers, rebuilders, kingdom architects, if you will, bringing to life and to love the restoration of God's kingdom everywhere we go. This is the mission of God's people, to be kingdom builders. And this is what it means to live a resurrection life, to be people of, of restoration and renewal, to be people of reconciliation and of hope, to be people of peace and of love in a world that is in, so, in such desperate need of it. And I think that this is what Jesus was doing, to be quite honest with you, in his post-resurrection appearances to his disciples. He was trying to get through to them that something had changed and their lives needed to change based on the fact that there was a new circumstance. And that circumstance was resurrection. Jesus is going around to his disciples in all of these post-resurrection appearances, um, doing things and communicating things that are meant to kind of stir, stir his disciples and awaken them to this new reality. Very often when he does this, he is bypassing locked doors, which I think is true, something he actually did, but it's also a very helpful analogy or metaphor for how Jesus so often comes to us in order to speak a word of peace and a word of hope. He so often bypasses the locked door of our hearts and of our minds. You see, when your door is locked, Jesus will still come to you. He does not bash down the door to speak words of condemnation. He comes through the locked door of our hearts and speaks words of peace, of peace. Peace in the middle of the storms of our life, peace for the journey of he ahead, peace in the, a fearful situation that maybe we're walking through, peace in the middle of a big decision, he speaks peace to those who are far off and peace to those who are near. You see, the first step for Jesus of enlarging this vision of his, for his disciples was to not to give them a kind of rah-rah speech that, and send them out and say, win some souls for the Gipper, right? This is not what he said. Rather, it was a word of peace in the midst of their own uncertainty because before they could go out into the world, they needed to have their hearts firmly grounded in the soil of God's love and of his perfect peace. And before they could go be kingdom builders or kingdom reconcilers, they needed to hear Jesus say this word, peace, to enlarge their hearts and empower them with the Holy Spirit for the journey ahead. 
And so this morning, I want to briefly, briefly look at three areas where the resurrection of Jesus brings peace into our lives. And then I want to pray for you this morning. Uh, I know that all of us in this room are in need of more peace, aren't we? Maybe this morning you've come in here with a frazzled heart or a frazzled mind. Or maybe the cares of this world or some concern or some relational strife that exists in the midst of your life is causing you to struggle for peace. That's okay. It's a good place to be. It's right where the disciples were when Jesus walked through the walls of a locked room and spoke the words of peace to them. So briefly this morning, I just want to highlight from this text three areas where Jesus brings peace to his disciples and where I think this text communicates to us that he wants to bring peace into each of our lives as well. So just real briefly, and then we'll invite the band up uh, and we'll pray together. Sound good? Yeah, nailed it. Thank you very much. So the first area is peace with God. Jesus came, though this is what the text says, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. So this communicates to us this idea that we can have peace with God. The resurrection is this definitive statement to the world that we can have peace with God. That's what the resurrection is. It's what it does. Paul, reflecting on this truth in the book of Colossians, says this, in, beginning in verse 21. He says, Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now you have been reconciled, uh, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, do not move from the hope held out in this gospel. Now, I don't think we can overlook the fact that the way Jesus illustrates the fact that he is alive and the way that uh, he, after communicating peace to the disciples, the way that he kind of communicates this whole idea is by showing them his wounds. That's how he communicates peace. Doesn't sound like a very peaceful thing to do, right? Like, peace be with you. Have you seen this huge scar I've got on my abdomen, right? Or something like that. Not... Not a particularly peaceful thing. Have you ever known anybody who has a big scar and is like always trying to show it to people? And you're like, that's private information, bud. Uh, keep it to yourself. But, uh, but Jesus communicates to his disciples this peace through his, his wounds, which is interesting. You see, uh, I, don't think we need, I don't think we can overlook that fact in the text. The reason we can know that we have been reconciled to God in Christ and can now stand in peace before him is not because of anything we did. It is because of what Christ has done for us. It is his wounds. It is his work. It is his love that reconciles us back to God, not our own. It has almost nothing to do with us in the best sense of the term. So much so that he comes to us even when the door of our house is locked. You see, the peace that Jesus has made for us, this reconciliation that he won for us, is a settled fact. He's got wounds to prove it. You can be at peace with God because of what Jesus has done, not because of anything you did to earn it, not because you were literally there on the cross with him, because you weren't. He was there for you. And so what you need to do in order to be at peace with God is simply to accept and believe that that reality is true. What God 
is doing in this passage is communicating to the disciples and sending them out here in a moment right after this. You see, they were called to go out from this place as ambassadors or as apostles or messengers of this truth, telling the world and telling everyone that they knew that God was not angry at them. and God is not angry at you. He's not waiting to call you into the principal's office and drop some, or drop some massive anvil on your head the second you do something wrong. This is not what God is like. He has done all the necessary work for you to be near him, and his wounds prove it. You can stand securely in his presence so that you can receive the gift of his grace signified by his wounds, and you can be reconciled to God. So because we can have peace with God, we can stand firm and assured of his love for you and for me. If you have not been reconciled to God in Christ this morning, if you have not confessed your need for him, repented of your sins, and turned towards him, you can do that this morning. He loves you. He's not here in the spirit of condemnation or of fear. He's here in a spirit of love simply offering to you the work he has done on your behalf and inviting you to a, kind of, to a newness of life that remakes your heart and your soul. And you can step into that. All it takes is your willingness because Christ has already done everything for you. And to have peace with God in that way is such a great peace, isn't it? To know, that we are, to know that the ultimate thing in our life, the ultimate relationship in our life, stands at peace is a beautiful thing to know. It's a beautiful thing to live into. But Jesus doesn't stop there, does he? He starts there, but he doesn't stop there. He continues to talk about other types of peace. And another peace that I think is implicitly communicated in this text is this peace within our own hearts. When Jesus speaks peace to the disciples, he is speaking peace to our own hearts. How many of you have had an unpeaceful heart at any time in the last, I don't know, 15 or 20 seconds? Right? Right? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Jesus, again, verse 21, it says, again, Jesus said, peace be with you. Can you imagine what it must be like to be those disciples? Their hearts must have been so frazzled, so troubled. They had literally locked themselves in a room away from people out of fear. And when Jesus comes to them, he speaks peace that calms and centers them. Remember, these are the same disciples that saw Jesus in the middle of the night stand up with sleep in his eyes in a boat when the storm was blowing and say, peace, be still. And the waves and the wind ceased. You see, they knew that when this man speaks peace, even the winds and the waves obey. They knew it was a true word. And I can imagine the power of that word, that peace, kind of streaming from his mouth and into their lives, right? You see, when the creator of all that is speaks a word of peace over your life, you can't do anything other than accept the fact that it's true. Here's the reality, though. We don't believe that it's true, do we? Very often, we don't believe that it's true. And yet, we, here we have Jesus speaking a word of peace over his disciples and over us. And yet, we, it is so 
difficult for us to live at peace in the midst of those situations, isn't it? Dallas Willard, the philosopher and spiritual writer, says this, and it always comes to my mind. He says, Jesus brings us the assurance that the universe is a perfectly safe place for us to be. I'll say it one more time. Jesus brings us the assurance that the universe is a perfectly safe place for us to be. Now, I understand that that statement can come across as kind of naive, right? Of course the world is not a perfectly safe place to be. I am sick. I don't feel well. Bad things have happened to me, and bad things continue to happen all around the world. There are people being killed right now, and there are people attempting to kill others. Everything science tells us is that the entirety of the cosmos is constructed to kill me, right? What do they say? Go into space. You're dead. Go in the water. You can't swim. You're dead. Like everything, the whole, all of the world, the sun is eventually going to die. We're going to run out of oxygen and water. And, you know, it seems like all of the universe is conspiring to kill us. And yet, and yet, we Christians are audacious enough to make the statement that Jesus can bring us an assurance of peace, that he can bring us an assurance that the universe is a perfectly safe place to be, despite the fact that there are natural disasters and war and disease, because, and this is the only way this makes sense, Jesus was raised from the dead. And dead things tend not to raise, right? If Jesus was raised from the dead, then something unabashedly new has been entered into the system. Or maybe something from the outside has come in to restructure and reform it in such a way as that this old world cannot ultimately have sway over your heart or over your soul, and that Jesus makes us free because of the resurrection to move forward, believing that, that God does work everything together for good. And whether we pass away in this life or whether we are present to see the return of Jesus, we can be fully assured of that fact that Christ is working even amidst the broken parts of your life to weave it all together for his good. And because we know this, and because Jesus has spoken this word of peace over our, over our lives, we can believe that the universe is a perfectly safe place to be. I've heard another pastor say it this way, that you are always safe in the kingdom of God. You are always safe in the kingdom of God. And so many of our hearts need an assurance of that safety, don't they? Mine does. This week, mine, my heart has needed an assurance of that safety, that there, though we will endure trials and struggles, though there still is trauma and though there still is pain and though there still is wounds that we carry with us, in the kingdom of God, we are safe. And it's from that place of safety that we can move out into the world as agents of his, re, of his renewal and of his reconciliation and of his love. This is the truth. This is the truth. Uh, the apostle uh, Paul in Philippians verses 4, 11 through 13 says it this way. He says, I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to be, have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or living in want. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Now, this was not Paul's 
life verse that he recites before he tears a phone book in half, right? This is not what's going on here. Paul, rather, is communicating a reality that even though his life might be taken and his life eventually will be taken in, in Rome, that there is an ability placed within him by virtue of Christ's resurrection and the, and the life that is flowing through him that gives him strength to walk out this path in life. He is an overcomer, not because everything worked out exactly as you think it should in his life. He was shipwrecked and stoned and almost murdered multiple times. Paul is somebody who was quite acquainted with the fact that the world is not always a pleasant place to be. And yet he can write these words because he knows the power of the resurrection and he knows the truth therein. And Christ comes to you and to me in the midst of our struggle, in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our broken bodies or broken relationships, and he speaks a word of peace over us so that we can participate in him in the re-weaving together of this beautiful tapestry he calls the kingdom of God. This is why we can have peace when Jesus speaks peace over our lives. Amen? And the third thing this morning that I think Jesus expressly says in this passage is that we can have peace with other people. Jesus concludes this passage of scripture with these words in verse 22. He says, and with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven, which is a strange verse that many people have trouble with. Now, this sounds a bit like Jesus is making a threat, right? Like if you, uh, if you have one person in your life who you have not forgiven, forgiven oops, you fail the test and you will not be forgiven either, right? Which is kind of contrary to everything that we read other places in the scriptures. So there has to be something slightly different going on here. But this is what Jesus, I believe, is saying in this passage. You see, one of the things that you need to know about John's gospel is that John puts a high priority on unity. All of, uh, very often uh, in Jesus's life and in Jesus's ministry in John's gospel, unity is, is, of a, is paramount. John records an extended prayer that's called Jesus's high priestly prayer before he is crucified, where Jesus prays primarily for unity, for the unity of his disciples and for the unity of the church and for the unity of all of those who believe based on the words of the apostles. And so we know that John cares about unity because Jesus cared about unity. You see, one of the primary ways we witness to the truth of Jesus is by being a people of peace. This is how we witness to the reality of Jesus in the world. This is by, uh, just for the reference, this is where we get the song. Many of you probably are familiar with it. They will know we are Christians by our love, by our love. They will know we are Christians by our love. And coincidentally, the next line, what's it say? We are one in the spirit. We are one. We are one. We are one in the spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit in this passage that's given by Jesus is an empowerment for unity. It's an empowerment for unity. This is what Jesus is doing when he's breathing on the disciples. And peace between the disciples and between the disciples in the world is one of the primary ramifications that Jesus wants to see carried out here because of his resurrection. The power of the Holy Spirit as, is at work in the world to bring peace between God's people, like within themselves, and between God's people as we face the world, between God's people and the world. 
This is why the Apostle Paul implores the church to make every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Because the peace and love and unity that needs to occur within the church between God's people is the primary symbol to the world of the Prince of Peace that we serve. You see, Jesus won our peace on the cross, and in the resurrection, he put a definitive stamp upon it, bringing life and reconciliation and hope and peace into the world. And this is why unity and peace within the church is such a high priority for followers of Jesus. Why And why practically we are called to be uh, peacemakers between one another and also out into the world. You see, how you are living out this peace in the way you relate to other people is, according to the Bible, one of the primary ways that you witness to the reality of God in the world, right? You can, you can witness to the reality of God in the world with your mouth, and you should do that. But if you are contentious and always fighting with people, you're always rubbing people the wrong way, there's always, there's always uh, animosity or anger, there's always kind of a little bit of grit, right, in, in, in your life with other people, then the, then the words that you speak don't very accurately reflect the Prince of Peace that you serve. And so Jesus is quite clear that where there is tension and where there is anger, where there are people holding grudges, where there are uh, persistent hurt feelings, Jesus gives us the Spirit in order to help us reconcile with one another and to live at peace together. This is one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. You see, the church should be the organization in all of the world which lives at peace and brings peace, not strife or division. And I will say this is a problem, right? This is a problem. Just read the history of the church in the world, right? We are not always great at bringing peace wherever we go. For vast swaths of human history, the church has been uh, not a peace bringer, but rather a war bringer. Just look at, I don't know, the Crusades, for instance. But also look at, at our current state of affairs. Any time that Jesus' name gets dragged into a kind of culture warry, uh, animus building situation, we realize that Jesus' name has been co opted into something that the church was never intended to be. And in our own lives, we, we get so often like stirred up to fight other people because we have these internal senses of what is right and wrong that we, we forget that the spirit that Jesus brought to us is a spirit of peace. That if the spirit of Jesus is dwelling within you, you ought to be a peacemaker. It should be a high priority on your list, not a low one. What is low on the list of a, of a peacemaking kingdom Jesus resurrection life type person is winning. Right? That's low on the list. It is. That's low on the priority list. What's high on the priority list is being a person of unity and peace and love. Now, is this uh, a kind of limp noodle type love, right, where we just kind of allow people to run over us all the time? No, because what the, all that will create in your heart is a kind of anger, right, and a vitriol, and then you'll just lash out at people. Take it from me, right? Somebody who is uh, always trying to please people, that to, cre to always be in that space is not always to cultivate peace. Some of the most peaceful people I know 
are some of the some of the more direct people I know, not because they are attempting to uh, hurt somebody's feelings, but because they know that truth is a vital component of peace. All right. So what I'm not saying is that we uh, go through this life being kind of taken advantage of, but as we go through this life speaking truth, that is also not something that should empower our hearts and our minds to like get one over on people. Our heart should always be for the person with whom we are having a disagreement, right? Even if, even if in our own lives there is sometimes a, the required of us the, a responsibility to either draw boundaries or stand on a one place and not be moved, we should always do that for the sake of others and not uh, in an adverse way. Does that make sense? Uh, to illustrate this, uh, Martin Luther King Jr., when was asked once why it was that he embraced nonviolence as as a posture in in fighting for civil rights and he says and he said something to the effect of they will hit us they will beat us and they will break us down but we will love them and our love will break them down right it's this idea that 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 a posture of love if stood uh, if stood firmly and if empowered by the Holy Spirit, gives us the ability to combat that in the world which is not good in a way that seeks the betterment of the other, not their subjugation or not their defeat. Does this make sense? The truth of the matter is, is that the spirit of peace that dwells within us cares and loves all people. It is not looking simply to win or to have the type of life that I want to have, but rather to love all people in such a way as that we want what is best for them. So, the question is, who is your enemy? And how can you will the best for them, right? This is a, this is a spirit of peace question. Who is your enemy, and how can you will the best for them? Now, that might be hard, and you might not be able to get there, right? But you can simply ask the question, Lord, help me to get there, right? This is why we pray for those who persecute us, because who, who am I at war with in my heart, and how can I cultivate a sense of love for them? And very often, that sense of love for them will require us to make some decisions and stand in some places and, and be unmoved, but, but we can do it in a spirit of love and not of anger or hate, right? We can do it in a spirit that, that protects both our hearts and their hearts, and always cultivates a spirit of love. You see, we can have peace with others. You know, one of the reasons that before, that when Paul is talking to the Corinthian church, before he teaches them about communion, about the fact that he says this phrase that, you know, some of you are sick and some of you have died because you have taken improperly in 1 Corinthians 15, or yeah, in 1 Corinthians 11. And part of the reason that Paul says that is not because these people have sin in their lives. Well, they do have sin in their lives, but that's not the only reason. It's not like they said a bad word 20 minutes later and then they took communion and now God is punishing them for them. That's a misreading of that passage. When you actually read that passage in detail, what you realize is that they were mistreating one another, right? They were improperly related to one another within the church. And Paul says, because of this, people are being abused and abandoned. You're hurting one another and some people are dying because of this. And so, it's so important that when this is why historically when people come to the table of the communion one of the things that we do is we provide a space for reflection 
where we can observe in our own heart. And what we're supposed to do is kind of observe in our own heart to reflect upon the state of our heart, but we're also called to reflect on the state of our horizontal relationships with others because coming to the table of communion is a symbol or a sign of our unity. That's why we do it together. That's why you don't take communion by yourself in the bathroom in the morning, right? You see, everything the church is meant to do, everything the church is meant to be is a body together as the people of God. And we are called together to be this people, to be, these, uh, to be this, this city on a hill, as it were, that would reflect the beauty and goodness and peace of God out into the world. If the band could come up, that would be great. And so, as we conclude this morning, the question I have for you is, where in your life do you need the peace that Jesus brings? Do you need the peace of God as it pertains to your actual uh, horizontal relationship with God? Do you feel at odds with God? Have you given your heart to Jesus? Have you been saved, reconciled, renewed, restored, born again? If you haven't been any of those things, today is a perfect opportunity for you to recommit your life even to this saving Lord, to know that the, the only way that God looks at you is with eyes of love. It's the only way he looks at you. And Jesus comes to you with wounds in his hands and in his side, and he simply says, this is what I did for you. Would you come to me? And you just have to say yes. Do you need a peace that is internal? Did you come today with a kind of rock tumbler in your heart or in your mind? And what you need from Jesus today is a peace that passes understanding. Not a peace that passes every bad thing that's in your life. Not a peace that supersedes all of that, but a peace that passes understanding, that goes over and beyond that trouble and gives you peace in the middle of it. I believe Jesus wants to speak peace to some of our hearts this morning. And the third one is peace with others, right? Do you have someone in your life who is difficult to love? Do you have, have you been bearing some animosity towards someone in your life? Do you need to confess that to Jesus and possibly even make, take steps of reconciliation towards that person? Have you been bearing a lack of peace or a kind of anger towards any groups of people, towards any one of a particular political persuasion? Do you think that certain people are the enemy that need to be defeated and then the world will be the way it's supposed to be? This is not a kingdom mindset. It's not a kingdom way of living. Jesus invites us into a peace-filled, grace-filled, others-oriented, loving life and that by virtue of living that life in his kingdom as reconcilers, as vir by virtue of living that kind of uh, resurrection life in our daily basis, we can come to a place where we can have peace with God, we can have peace internally, we can have peace externally with those around us, both in our church and in our world. So this side of the resurrection, of the second coming of Jesus, this will never be perfect. We know this, right? But I do believe that this is what Jesus makes available to us. And there is a resurrection.
resurrection life and resurrection power made available to us to live into that this morning. So would you stand with me? And here's what we're going to do this morning. It's going to be a little different than what we usually do. I'm going to pray for us, and the band's going to continue to play after uh, after I pray. Play and pray are two hard words to say together when you're trying to talk out loud. So I'm going to we're going to pray together. Yeah, you can keep playing. Sorry, I didn't. <laughs> Uh, they're going to continue to play after I'm done. Uh, and I'm going to stay up here, and I want to pray for you. So uh, after I pray, that's your formal dismissal if you if you want to be dismissed. But if you want uh, to come find a place of prayer, or if you specifically would like me to pray for you, I'd love to do that this morning for any one of those areas, whether it's peace in your life, peace with others, peace with God. Um, we will, uh, we just, I just want to create a little space for us to, to pray and let the love and peace of the Holy Spirit kind of be with us for a minute. All right? All right. So, Father, we love you. And we thank you, God, for calling us together this morning. We thank you even more for the fact that you laid down your life for us on the cross, that you bore in your own body the wounds that made for our healing. And so, Jesus, would we come alive to, your, to the peace that you want to bring into our hearts and our minds? Would we come alive to the peace you want to bring to, uh, to our horizontal relationships with others? Would we come alive to the peace that you want to bring between our hearts and the Father? Would you make us alive to the peace that you want to cultivate in our own lives as we follow you into your peaceful kingdom? And Jesus, would you help us this morning? to lay down those things that we've been carrying that would stand in the way of our peace. Jesus, would you help us to be a people of peace? Would you help us to be resurrection life type people? And would you help us to carry that with us today, this week, and everywhere we go? And we pray it all in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. If you'd like to find a place of prayer, whether at your seat or at the front, you can do that. And if you would like prayer, uh, I'll be available up here to pray for you. The band's going to continue to play. If you're uh, going to leave, that's great. Uh, go today in the grace and the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, blessings on you.